not only makes the claim for deity that provides a place of eternal security and intimacy, there's other, one other kind of amazing claim here. If you're thinking about is Christianity really exclusive and driving people out, it's just the fact that Jesus is not only talking about the tenderness of his heart here, but the expansiveness of it. I don't want to go past the simple words. In my father's house are many rooms. Today on the Songtime broadcast, we'll continue our study with Dr. Brian Chapel here in John chapter 14. We're talking about the exclusive claim of Jesus, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and there is no other way to the Father except through him. And yet, even in that statement, Jesus is giving us a demonstration of his great love for mankind. Stay tuned for that message, but first we're joined once again by Michael Glodo as we talk about the ironic blessing and how the Lord blesses you and keeps you. The many voices are coming together for that one message. I'm your host, Adam Miller. You're listening to Songtime Radio. Our motto here at Songtime is many voices, one message. And obviously that's a result of the many different voices that you'll hear on a daily basis here on the Songtime broadcast, but not just weekly, all year long. You're going to hear from many different voices, many different pastors and preachers and authors, all communicating that one message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we also like to remind you that you are a part of those many voices because you contribute as you declare to the world that you have been redeemed, your voice is being added to that one message as you share the good news with those that you love. But we can also look at the Bible and what we can see in 66 books and over 40 different authors, there's one message. That means that all of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation are pointing to one message. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of what Christ has done to bring salvation into the world. And that is always culminating with Jesus on the cross, dying as a propitiation for our sins. Well, with that being said, we're going to dive back into the book of Numbers today and some of the, the messaging of the, the, the Moses, but also his brother Aaron and the Aaronic blessing. We're joined once again by pastor and Dr. Michael Glodo, who's written a book called The Lord Bless You and Keep You, The Promise of the Gospel and the Aaronic Blessing. And now we love to see how all of Scripture points to Jesus, uh, but Michael, how is it that this Aaronic blessing in the Old Testament, which was given to the the high priest, Aaron, the brother of Moses, to bless the people of Israel. How is that applied to New Testament believers, and how does it ultimately point us to the gospel? Well, um, as you know, Adam, uh, Jesus and the apostles preached the gospel from the Old Testament. I mean, that's 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 point one, right? Um, and and as I mentioned earlier, Luke 24, Jesus said he, the Old Testament spoke of the necessity that the Son of Man must suffer and be rejected and die and be raised. Um, but then as you start to look at the themes of the Old Testament, you see them all converging in the person and work of Christ. Uh, John's gospel is a, a, a beautiful example of this. Um, when Jesus said, uh, Moses wrote of me, or when he says, Isaiah saw my glory, uh, what Jesus is saying that even before the incarnation, he as the divine son, part of the triune God, was part of what the Old Testament saints um, uh, aspired to, uh, uh, reached toward, uh, believed in. Um, and, and even when Paul 
trying to come up with this best example of justification by grace alone through faith alone. Where does he go? He doesn't go to the Gospels. He goes to Abraham. So uh, the continuity between the Old and the New Testaments is uh, it's it's not just what the Bible teaches, and it's not just important that we believe it, but it will expand your heart for understanding what God has done, and it will expand your love of God uh, once you start to see the unfolding mystery of Christ um, and, uh, and seeing the f- glory of God in the face of Christ is one of, the, one of those great themes which finds its fulfillment in Christ coming out of the ironic uh, blessing. Yeah. I, I love to make those connections. And, and really, for the New Testament church, uh, for us to have uh, so much time and so much resources available to us, our faithful listeners would know last year uh, we spent some time in the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, and we talked about this, how the Scriptures, the Gentiles being brought into the church, all they had for a long time was the Old Testament. So what were they hearing? The Old Testament repeated to them over and over again. So even Gentiles were ensconced in the Old Testament. They needed to know it to be able to understand who Christ was. And uh, we've, all these uh, centuries later, have sort of lost that. We, we don't know the Old Testament well enough to be able to see the gospel. Uh, but here, in the ironic blessing, we can see it. So for our listeners who struggle to see it, what is the gospel's narrative there? How do we pull the gospel from that and and see it in that context? Well, um, this is maybe a good place to mention going back to the very beginning. We're in, we're in the garden, you know, Adam and Eve have this perfect fellowship with God. And, and but, but when they sin, they hide their faces from God. They they hide from him. They don't want to be seen by God. And so there's a little what I call the face story. Yeah. <laughs> there is what I call there the face story of how the theme of God's face and human faces play into the dynamic of of God's plan of redemption. And uh uh there are some dramatic episodes in that uh in genesis uh uh uh, 22 you find uh jacob wrestling with this man all night and it's such a dramatic story um and there's so much mystery uh surrounding it but at the end of the day when abraham when i'm sorry when when jacob realizes who he had been with who it was that hobbled him uh, he names that place the face of God. So uh, he didn't see God face to face in the sense that uh, uh, it was dark. <laughs> it wasn't until the break of day that the stranger left him, but he knew that he was in the presence of God. And then, and then you know, another dramatic episode in this is Moses after the golden calf episode when you know he intercedes on behalf of Israel and and God forgives Israel and um and and God says no one shall see my face and live and Moses is given this you know uh uh, uh chance to see uh, the glory of God as it fades away but e- even when it says uh Moses spoke to God as a man speaks to a friend face to face we we have to recall that happened inside the the smoke-filled tabernacle 
And so Moses wasn't sitting in there looking upon the essence of God, but rather he it was he it was a way of him communing with God. So so you have this building story of how can God's people see God except God make some kind of provision for them, and 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 we really should be. Uh, longing for that look from God by the time we come to the Gospels and the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, because John's Gospel begins that way, right? That uh, uh, the glory became flesh, and and we beheld his glory full of, of grace and truth. So the face of God is the unfolding of the presence of God, the forgiving and and, and communing presence of God for us. And, and in that respect, it's the gospel. We've been talking with Michael Glodo about his book based on the ironic blessing from the book of Numbers and seeing how it points us to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a great book. You can find out more information. It is called The Lord Bless You and Keep You. So if you'd like to find out more information about that book and the author, Michael Glodo, please give us a call. It's 508-362-7070. That's 508-362-7070. Or head over to our website at songtime.com. Well, today we are continuing our study in the Gospel of John, and this week, as we're looking at John chapter 14, we are at yet another of the I Am statements of Jesus. In this statement, Jesus makes a very exclusive claim, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And if it wasn't for that word, the, then we could probably uh, see how this would be a much more open and accepting and sort of a universal religion. And yet, Jesus makes this exclusive claim that seems to set us out, as Christians at least, to be antagonistic to the rest of the world. It's why the world uh, has turned on Christianity. They don't see it as a very loving religion. But in today's message from Dr. Brian Chappell, he'll show that in this claim, saying that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, we can actually see that this demonstrates the immensity of the love of God, that he would send Jesus Christ to, to bear the punishment for the sins of the world, not ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. Here is Dr. Brian Chappell with a closer look at John chapter 14. He not only makes the claim for deity that provides a place of eternal security and intimacy, there's other, one other kind of amazing claim here. If you're thinking about is Christianity really exclusive and driving people out, it's, it's just the fact that Jesus is not only talking about the tenderness of his heart here, but the expansiveness of it. I don't want to go past the simple words. Verse 2, in my Father's house are many rooms. I mean, if you're thinking about Christianity as somehow being bigoted and intolerant and pushing people away, Jesus is saying, listen, I don't only really have a key to my Father's house. I got lots of invitations. There are many rooms. And I want you to think a little bit of what you know about biblical history to think about the impact of that. This, this Christian religion kind of beginning at least to start as an ethnicity among the Jewish people. But what did God say to Abraham? I will make you a father of what? Many, what? Nations. Not just many families. Many nations. Abraham, look at the stars of the heaven. So shall your offspring be. As the stars of the heaven. 
And, and, and that's not just the beginning of the message, that he would be a father of many nations, that his offspring would be like the stars of the heaven, but we actually know the conclusion of the story. I mean, I mean, recognize, you know this too, Revelation 7, 9, as, as the hosts gather around the Lamb at the end of time. John, the writer of this gospel, writes and says, I looked and saw a great what? A great multitude that no one could number from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Here's the difficulty that we as evangelical Christians sometimes get in. We get stuck in Matthew 7, okay? We get stuck in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, narrow is the way and few there are that enter there. And we actually, forgive me, this is going to be kind of shocking to some of you, we forget that that's in a passage where Jesus is talking about those who live by the law. Those who think they will be made acceptable to God by what they do. All right, fine. You try that, it's going to be a really narrow gate. And there's not going to be many who get in that way. But the message of the grace of the gospel is, there are many rooms. And, and, and you must understand what that does to us psychologically. If, if your immediate impression is, well, nobody's going to hear, why would you bother to tell people about the gospel? But if you think God has an expansive heart, that there are many rooms, that God is doing a great work in our world even today, you say, I want to be a part of that. I want to tell people. I, the best evangelist I know, now, some of them are in this church, they will say, well, so-and-so hasn't come yet, but they're going to come. And part of me theologically says, you can't say that. And part of me respects them, that they, they just believe God is going to be working, that, that they think God has a plan and he's expanding his heart and that's his intentionality. We forget the privilege of the age that we are in. I try to remind you from time to time, we, we are in the most rapid expansion of Christianity in the history of the world right now. That, that, that's our time. The people who study it, the, the demographers and the missiologists say, now this, this is hard even to get your brain around, that there are more Christians alive today then there have been Christians in the history of the world. Did you hear that? There are more Christians alive today. As you think about what's happening in Asia and Africa, there are more Christians alive today than there have been Christians in the history of the world. 20,000 new Chinese believers per week. 16,000 new African believers per day. There is this, this great movement of the Spirit, and, and it gives us some response to those people who are saying, well, what about those who have never heard? Listen, that, that is a legitimate concern, but, but we have to bring all of our faith to bear. And at least one of the answers to that question, and you know Romans 1 is saying it's not really true that there are people who don't have the witness of nature even about them, but, but what about those who haven't heard the name of Jesus? If you believe in a sovereign God... He is more than capable of timing the birth of those who will hear until the moment that they can hear. And so you say, well, what's happening in the world today? As, as technology and communication are making the gospel expand beyond any boundaries that we ever knew, God is birthing people all through the world who are hearing and responding to the gospel. It's, it's the great movement that's among us as God is not saying, I'm prejudiced. See, he said, at the end of time, from every nation and language and people group, it, it's an experience.
expansive heart being put on display to us. And Jesus is saying, the way what happens is, he who is divine is, is not only opening the door to the Father's house, he's extending lots of invitations and throwing those invitations wide through his people. There, there's, there's this great expression of what God will do and is doing among us even now. Well, that's, that's some answer to exclusivity. To say that Jesus has to be God to do what he says the gospel must accomplish. And that's why he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'll say it again. If, if we're in the room that's burning and there is an exit that you know is to life and that's true, then you say to people, that's the way and that's the truth and life is there. And that's what Jesus is saying is a consequence of his being divine and holding the key to his father's house and extending lots of invitations. When it comes to understanding a point of view, I think it's great for us to look at an author and not just consider what he's written in one statement. It's very easy to take that out of context and kind of confuse it, uh, but to look at its entirety, to look at the entire body of work from an author to get an idea of who they are and how they write. You could do this with just about any modern day author, including any of the ancient authors. And we certainly strive to do that when we come to the, the Bible as a whole, because although there are many different writers, there's one ultimate author, that is God, giving us his word. It's God's word, so we want to understand it in its entirety from Genesis to Revelation. But we can also apply this when it comes to individual writers, like John, the beloved disciple. He gives us this great gospel narrative that is so loved and so cherished, but he's also given us some epistles. He writes letters to the church, and he's given us the book of Revelation. And when we look at all of them in their entirety, when we really step back and get a glimpse of of John and his writing and his intention of communicating, we can see something very clearly, that he is demonstrating the, the the love of God, a tremendous love of God, but that same love has a bite to it. (laughs) Because God loves us so much, he is not going to deny us the truth, the reality. And we can see that very clearly in the book of Revelation when we see judgment. God cares so much that he warns us what will happen if we choose to deny the love of what Christ accomplished for us. And Jesus is actually introduced in the book of Revelation as the lamb who was slain, worthy is the lamb who was slain. That's the song, the refrain of the angels in heaven. Where do we see that? John the Baptist in John chapter one, as he's introducing Jesus, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And one of the things that I think is so beautiful is what John says in his first letter to the church in first John chapter one, and actually chapter two, we see that John is presenting Jesus as the propitiation for our sins. That's one of my favorite terms. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He is going to pay the punishment for the sins that we've committed and grant us his righteousness so that we can stand before the Father. But he says this, it says that he has died for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. This shows the extent of God's love. Just like we saw that Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, including Judas, he washed Judas's feet. The one who he knew was about to betray him, had already betrayed him, but had yet to turn him over to the Pharisees. And and he washed his feet. 
In the same way, Jesus went and died, and he died for the sins of the whole world. Now, that does not mean that that universalism, that Jesus died for everybody, therefore everyone's already saved, and they don't have to worry about putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, because that would go into direct contrast to everything else that John has written, including the book of Revelation. But what he is actually saying here is that the potency of his love, the, the immensity of his love, was enough to cover the the whole consequences, every single sin that was ever committed, from the worst offender to the least offender, from the earliest offender to the latest offender, the sins that you have yet to commit, that is the, the efficiency and the effectiveness of his sacrifice for our sins. And when you consider that, when you really sit down and real, uh, wrap your mind around just how immense the love of God is, I don't know how you can come to him and point your finger and say, well, I don't think it's fair. I don't think you're right. I don't want to do this. Because when you truly understand what Christ accomplished for you on the cross, it will change your life. Has it changed your life? Do you really sit and wonder and consider how amazing that love is? I hope so. If you do, let us know. Write to us at Songtime Radio, P.O. Box 100, Barnstable, Massachusetts, 02630, or give us a call. It's 508-362-7070. You can also head over to our website at songtime.com, or you can look us up on social media. Don't forget to tune in again tomorrow. We'll continue our study as we're looking at uh, the, the way in which Christ pre- presents us to the Father and how that is exclusive even showing us that we cannot save ourselves. Jesus does not just make unique claims about himself. There are claims of what it means. If he is the way, then one of the key implications is this. You are not, and I am not. We are not the way. On behalf of everyone here at Songtime, we want to thank you for listening. From Cape Cod, I'm Adam Miller with our theme verse, John 13, 34, and 35. Here Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another.